Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B. Cake Kiley, and this is Before the Box Score, your first fall camp edition. The Missouri Tigers are practicing football on the field. They're on the ball in pads. They have numbers. They're on the grass. They're in the, in the new indoor pavilion. I mean, BK football season's here. We made it, man. How well, you doing? Kind of. Some of them have numbers. Most of them have numbers, and they're... They are practicing, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say we're in full football season quite yet. Um, we'll get there when when Mizzou plays an opponent that matters. And we're still like a month and a half away from that. Oh, we're closer than that, but I understand your point. From playing an Dude. opponent that matters? No, we're not, sir. September 16th. That's the real start of the football season, my friend. God, you are such a hater. You're <laughs> yeah. such a hater. You, you enjoy that South Dakota drubbing. That'll Why? take place on it's August 31st. It's going to be a W. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I like wins, and you know this. Uh, so do the Missouri Tigers. That's why they're practicing football right now. Uh, everyone's expecting a good season. We're hearing good things coming out of camp. And we're hearing good things on the recruiting trail. And that's really where we want to start this, this episode anyway, because the talk for the past what, week, two weeks at this point, has been going back to the theme of the night, this show is brought to you by the letter W with Ryan Wingo and Williams Warnery. And these are five-star gentlemen. Williams is a top three player. Ryan Wingo is the best receiver in the country. And they are seriously considering coming to Mizzou. I know we talked about this two weeks ago with this exact thing. Drink was talking about momentum, talking about the W, flying the W flag for those two gentlemen in particular. But it just seems like momentum keeps ratcheting up predictions are going in and BK I mean we're here and I kind of feel like it's because Missouri is in a very unique position for a certain state law what do you think yeah I think you're right um Gabe DeArmond of powermazoo.com wrote about this earlier today I want to give him his credit because he was the one that saw this I honestly was unaware of this until literally today apparently there is a, a little small fine print piece to this law that nobody really looked into, or at least not publicly, until the last week or so that states, hey, you can start making your money the moment that you sign something. It does not clearly state that you have to sign your national letter of intent to attend the University of Missouri. That could be a financial aid agreement. It could be a scholarship agreement. And financial aid agreements, by the way, are not binding agreements. It just says, hey, I intend, I intend to go to the University of Missouri. It does not say I am legally binding to go to the University of Missouri. Those two things are very important uh, in the case of something like this. So what that means, when this law goes into effect, which is roughly three weeks from the recording date, Williams uh, Winery, for example, could technically immediately start making money from the University of Missouri, from his NIL package that he ends up getting, if he ends up getting one, when he discusses that with them, I'm sure a month from now. Um, so when that happens, he can start making money from a zoo. He can make money nowhere else until he is at the university that he attends next June. So he essentially gets, what is that, a nine-month head start? on NIL money that he could make from a zoo. So if it was, let's call it $120,000, I would assume it's probably more than that, but for the sake of easy math, from the University of Missouri that he's gonna get in NIL, he could make 90K prior to June when he would then be able to make money from somebody else if he signed elsewhere. So this is a big deal, man. I thought it was like, 
December and then versus June, like, whatever. It's a few months. It's not even worth it at that point, really. I I underestimated how big of an effect this could potentially have on recruitment, and specifically with the top two players in the state, with Williams Winery and Ryan Wingo. It sounds like both at this point, based on all of the public reporting, are leans towards Mizzou. Not just they're listening to Mizzou, they are leaning towards coming to the University of Missouri. That is two five-star players. This isn't just like your typical, hey, really good player, top of the class in the state of Missouri, four-star, could end up being a good player. No, this is like getting two Luther Burdens in one class or like getting um, Doriel Green Beckham and like the top defensive end in a class. That's what this is. So for Mizzou to be in on either of these two players is one thing. For them to be the favorites to land either of them is another. For them to be the favorites to land both is legitimately unprecedented in the time in which I have been following recruiting for the University of Missouri. So, yeah, this is wild, dude. This is some crazy stuff. We thought there was a chance that Mizzou would go like 0 for 10 with the top 10 players in the state. And now they might go 2 for 2 with the top two players in the state. Can't believe that this is where we've arrived. That's a wild run. Yeah. And, and you know, when I, when I first looked at that law, again, not an attorney, famously not an attorney, married to one, but not one. And when we were looking at the language, I, I thought it was that there was no explicit, like, oh, hold on, NLI, National Letter of Intent. Uh, I was like, oh, so you just have to commit. Like, to, and, and everyone, everyone kind of in the, in the sphere talking, I was like, no, it's, it's an NLI. I was like, oh, well, I guess we read that wrong. So I'm glad Gabe found it. I'm glad he reinforced that this is actually a thing. Uh, yeah, nine-month head start on $200,000 or whatever it is, that is not insignificant. And, yeah, you might say, well, you know, I'd like to play for a championship at Georgia or Ohio State or whatever. You'd also like to make some money while you're doing this. And, you know, if you can make money while you're a high school student, a senior in high school, it already gets your endorsements for whatever your proverbial chips are or whatever your proverbial insurance agent is. What a huge deal that is, not only for you back home in high school, but then, you know, getting your 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 career as a as a as a pitch man started before you're even taking a snap as a football player. This is great. Um, and, and if this is the thing that levels the playing field for Missouri, you can guarantee it's not going to be level for too long. There's going to be other states that look at this sure. and say, we can do the same thing, but let's have Missouri capitalize on this right now. And again, it seems like you can only do it for your in-state guys. And if Missouri covets Missouri players and so and Florida passes this law, okay, great. So we're not going to get the five stars from Florida. We weren't getting them anyway. Exactly. Uh, if it gives you an advantage with the in-state five-star kids, it has its intended effect. That's exactly. it. That's all you need to do because you're not pulling any of these guys from anywhere else. Give yourself the best chance possible for the stud in-state kids. And let's, let's let the chips fall where they may and figure and, it out from there. And this is why Missouri has been such a unique situation for so long we've always said missouri should be capitalizing on this because it's the only fbs program it's the only fbs program in the state of missouri if let's say florida passes this law there are 10 universities who can benefit from this same for texas same for california you know nebraska is unique you know kansas has to battle with two but like you can see how important this law would be for missouri specifically with the only real recruiting school being in this situation. It is huge. And they need to capitalize this for as long as they possibly can. They're not going to get everybody. Clearly they haven't. 
and they're probably not even going to get the th- top three, which whatever. But like again, two for two in your top two, and those guys are both five stars. I don't care, BK. If you started following recruiting in 2016, 2006, or 1986, this will this has never happened. The equivalent of this has never happened in the history of Missouri football, and it's happening right now while we're alive in 2023. So it's worth getting excited about, like genuinely worth getting excited about. And like we've been, I would say, Nate, just full disclosure for anybody that may be new listening to this, right? You're excited about the recruiting news, and so you gave, gave us a shot. We've been lower than most, I would say, on Eli Drinkwitz and the Drinkwitz era in general. We get excited, don't get me wrong, about the recruiting success, but we're ready for it to translate into on-field success in 2023. I think it's a fair stance to have, but it is our stance that we've taken. This is the type of recruiting win, though, in year four-ish of the era, uh, in terms of the recruitment side of things, where you're like, okay, that's showing me a little something more than what I have seen even previously. And yes, I still want it to be backed up by wins. That is ultimately what matters for this team. But this is like, legitimate progress at this point in his tenure at Mizzou to the point where you're like, okay, I'm taking notice. Now we'll see what it looks like on the field, but man, this is, this is a huge deal for Mizzou. And by the way, like I don't, Jeremiah McClellan, the wide receiver out of CBC, he's expected to commit by the time you're hearing this within the next few days, it's not expected that he's going to land at Mizzou. He's not going to announce that he's committing to Mizzou. At least that's the expectation. It sounds like based on people that are in the know a little bit, that could change. Like we know how these recruitments work. And sometimes kids announce one thing in August and they decide another by December. There may have been another receiver that did something like that. I don't know. A couple of years ago. So it's, it's possible, even if unlikely that the top three players in the state are at least in play for Missouri and that was not the case, I think, as recently as like two months ago. So this this was a game changer. It got Mizzou back in the picture with some of these players. It got their attention. And if it's getting the recruits attention, it's just like jerseys, right? Don't matter if you like it. Doesn't matter if I like it. Doesn't matter if any fans like it. If the recruits like them and they think they look good in the pictures when they come on campus or they like watching them on TV, boy, that's the uniforms you should be wearing. And so this is obviously even more significant because it impacts their, their family's futures with NIL money, especially for the top of the class, like legitimately changing your life. Um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for Mizzou, and it's a big deal for these kids who are able to benefit from it. Now, you can be a cynic. You can say, oh, well, it'd be really easy for some kid to commit to Missouri. And let's say September 1st. And then you know, get those in NIL checks for three months and then December comes around and they go, Oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not committing yet. You know, I'm thinking maybe February, they take it out to February and then they land somewhere else. Okay. Guess what? That has been happening for literal decades. The difference is that now we know it's out in the open and it used to be, that a player, like, I don't know, maybe someone from SMU back in the Pony Excess days of the 80s, maybe they were promised something, maybe they were cash to check, you know, a couple checks, a couple cash handshakes, and they went to a different school. And, you know, the the person who did it might kind of cry and wail, but they couldn't do anything about it because it wasn't wasn't legal. Uh, so, you know, they, they shut up and the players shut up and nothing happened. So now it's just going to be out in the open. 
So if you want to start your college football career as a flip-flopper who stole, you know, yeah. know stole $50,000 uh, by saying you were going to do something and then you didn't do it, be my guest. Now everybody's going to know about it. But in the end of the day, this is something that levels the recruiting playing field for in-state kids from Missouri, which is what Missouri covets the most. So you're going to take a risk. You're, it's not going to work completely, or maybe it does. I don't know. But the point is that you need to have this to level the field, and it's working. So that's that's the positive. Yeah, and now the result is that Missouri might be getting two legit game changers that can come in. Like it, It's possible next year at wide receiver, you have Luther Burden, Ryan Wingo, and – there's some like legitimate buzz on some of the young guys that they were able to bring in this year. So one of those players who steps up as well, it's a pretty damn good trio of wide receivers that could be coming in with some real depth. And a lot of them are Missouri kids, which makes it even more exciting. Like Josh Manning, who is coming in this year. And I, I think has a real chance to immediately impact the game. Um, mm -hmm. You're getting some offensive linemen that are hopefully going to produce in a significant way. Like, the talent is starting to close the gap in a way that Nate, I know you've been talking about for years was necessary for them to be able to compete in the sec getting blue chippers like this. That's how you're able to really, really change the way that teams in the sec look at you. Uh, th yeah. These are, these are get off the bus guys. Luther burden is a get off the bus guy. Explain where, what get off the bus means for our listeners who don't. Sure. Know. So when I get off of a bus, People look at me and say, oh, that guy probably works a nine to five desk job. <laughs> when Nate gets off the bus, it's something very similar. When some of the Missouri football players of yesteryear got off the bus, they looked kind of similar, honestly. When Luther Burden gets off the bus, you're like, damn, that dude's a stud. When, I don't know, some of these other kids that get off the bus, like, when you when you have Williams Winery, who is 18 years old and is listed at like 6'5", 265 pounds, dude. that dude walks off the bus and you know, ah, that guy's a stud football player, isn't he? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Tyron Hopper, he gets off the bus, you're like, yeah, ah, that guy's going to wreck shop today. Darius Robinson gets off the bus and you're like, hot damn, that dude is something special. So like they are starting to get these guys and that doesn't inherently mean you're good at football. But when you get guys that look good coming off of the bus and they're good at football, that's when you start having a decent amount of success. Look at Alabama. Look at Georgia. You recognize who's good on those football teams. 2007. Okay. Think, think back to 2007, that magical run. Um, I got, I was lucky enough to be in March Mizzou. I got to travel with the, uh, with the band and the team for most of this stuff. I got to see the team get off the bus multiple times. I don't know if you're going to remember this BK, would you like to take a guess on who the first guy off the bus was every single time for the 2007 Missouri football team? I do not recall. Who was it? Okay. His name was Colin Brown. That he makes was 6'7". Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was 295 pounds. He had a shaved head. He had no neck. Yep. And he would get off like biggest scowl on his face. He did not have any gear on. He had his, his like windbreaker unzipped so you could see the rippling pecs. Like he just scared the hell out of anybody who was watching the team get off the bus. And it was him. And you just go, this team's business, baby. This yep. team's all business. And they Nick were Chubb. Nick Chubb is a get off Nick the bus Chubb's guy. A good one. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. Or like uh, for, you know, uh, modern, you know, for this year, like think Quinshawn Judkins running back out of Ole Miss, just all quad. He's just a yep. walking quad. Like you just, oh my God, I'm not messing with that guy. Yeah. You want to send your, your meanest, biggest, toughest looking dude. Uh, and that's what these guys are going to be. So yeah, it's, Eli has built this roster. He's finally done it. I, I think I put it in my piece that come out tomorrow. Like this is the first time that we're going to see basically a fully formed Eli Drinkwitz team. Um, yes, there are some Odom holdovers, but like this is his team. And I think it's really easy to say that this is his deepest team. And he's been working on this for many years through the portal, through recruiting. But like you now have multiple options at quarterback. You now have like 10 options at offensive line. You now have 10 wide receivers you could trot out there conceivably. And if one of them's having an off day, cool, go to the next one. Yep. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. Defensive line. Other than end, deep linebacker, deep secondary, deep. Like there are options, and there's a lot of good options. There are secondary year, players that five years ago on Mizzou, Nate, not even five, three <sighs> years ago on Mizzou, would have been like the clear cut number one safety. And on this team, we'll be fighting for snaps. Like we'll yeah. be special teamers. Yeah. Um, that is that is different from anything that we've seen previously. It is. And, 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 and you know, one of the reasons we kind of gave him guff for not doing anything, but like maybe Brady Cook was the only option at quarterback last year, just because no one else was ready. You know, maybe you put Luther on the outside just because you knew Dom was so good in the slot, and you just couldn't put anybody else anywhere else. Like this is the first time that there's been depth, and it took some time. And I know there's no year zero rebuilds in with the transfer portal anymore, but like it kind of is. And Drinkwitz has finally put a team together that seems complete and has options, especially on offensive line, either talented transfers or guys who've been with the program for a couple of years. So, again, we talk about all the reasons why we're optimistic about this year. I'm highlighting a couple of them now. You're going to see more next week when I do my count the ifs. Like, this this is reason for optimism. And it's the portaling and it's the assistance with this NIL law that's kind of tilting it in their favor. Maybe these guys are busts, maybe they're not, but like you need to hoard four and five star talent, and this is a good way to do it. So, you know, thank you, Missouri State Legislature, for putting aside the important stuff and helping your football team recruit really well. Uh, and we'll we'll see what happens going forward. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a big dang deal right now. Let's talk a little bit more about numbers because I want to talk about this team, and we know about the numbers. You know they're silly. I know they're silly. We know the players love it. We're going to talk about it. It hasn't been that many practices, and the good news is that most players have numbers. Um, now, just going through them real quick, um, if you're talking about the newcomers, because, I mean, again, you had freshmen, you had transfers during the spring period that got numbers. I'm talking about the ones who came in for the fall. So your first guy who got a number was a newcomer, either a transfer or a freshman. First guy, FCS defensive end, Niles Gaddy. okay. And I like his little thing. I'm gambling on me with the number 21. Like, I love a good theme. <laughs> I love it. 21's a funky number. You know, I love funky numbers. We're talking about blackjack. We're talking about gambling on My yourself. God. Come on. That's a good story. I don't know if he's any good, but he got his number first. The big one for me, BK, and I know I texted you and maybe I was a little sleep deprived or whatever. Maybe you were too. I don't know. But can't convert. Yeah. Daniel Blood was the first freshman to earn his number. Like hey, I told you. I told yes. you about him. He's good. He's number 16. He's going to be running the uh, wearing the Brad Smith number, which is going to be fun. The thing that got me geeked up is that within two practices, two, one, two, 
every single newcomer freshman or, or sorry, newcomer receiver earned their number. Yep. Every single one of them. Daniel Blow was first, Josh Manning, Marquise Johnson, like just bam, 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 bam. And like we knew Josh Manning had a high pedigree. We knew Marquise was fast. We knew Daniel Blood was prolific and could do a little bit of everything. The fact that they have their numbers within two practices, I can't help but get excited. BK, how do you feel about this? So I I wouldn't make too much of the Marquise Johnson one just because he's like a pure speed guy. And I don't I don't really know where that fits into this offense when you've got other guys that kind of fill a very, very similar role. Manning and Blood are interesting to me. So Manning's a bigger guy. He came in, and I don't know what he's exactly listed at right now, but he's somebody that could immediately factor in. He's 6'2", 200 pounds is what he's listed at right now on the website. Um, He's somebody that could immediately factor into the outside wide receiver mix. The reason why I say that is because like Mookie Cooper, Peanut Houston, Luther Burden, those are all inside guys. They're going to play out of the slot. Dennis Jackson, Theo Weiss, Miller, those are guys that are probably going to get the majority of the reps on the outside. Jamarian Wayne is apparently looking good in camp again. I still don't understand why he ever moved from wide receiver, but whatever. Um, he's going to factor into the outside receiver mix. And I think Manning is another guy that could be in that mix on the outside immediately, like skipping red shirt type of good. Blood is different. Blood is a guy that is a slot receiver prototype. I do not think he's going to see the field much this year from the slot. But I do think there's a chance he wins the punt return job. He's really good at it, like really good at it. When you watched him in high school, that was the thing that he was probably the best at was a getting open as a wide receiver out of the slot. But B, man, the guy just had a knack for finding a way to find the crease on these returns. And if there was anything that we watched that could be easily upgraded for Mizzou from a year ago, and I know we all love Luther Burden, but yo, man. Those punt returns were an adventure. And he just, for whatever reason, I can't explain it. He doesn't know how to catch the ball out of the air on a punt return or is unwilling to. I don't know which one it is, but he did it in high school. And it is very much not what you would coach. And in college, it gets you into trouble. So Mm -hmm. Daniel Blood apparently knows how to catch punts, which is a start. And... He's very good at it. So he is a name absolutely worth keeping in mind as a potential punt returner for you immediately to avoid that red shirt for him as well. You know, you can avoid a red shirt by being a special teams ace. And yeah. I know that's not sexy. I know that's not stat grabbing, but like, man, Nick Bolton was a special teams ace before he was a linebacker. And that's when the coaches were like, oh, damn, we got something here. So a lot of times those guys, those high motor guys turn out, you know, maybe they don't crack the rotation their first year on campus but it shows that there's potential going forward. And if that's where you find your mark, that's where you get on the field, that's when you start earning trust, man, that's when you can start blowing up in the next couple of years. And that's a big deal. So all the receivers have their number. All the new ones do. Uh, Brett Norfleet, tight end, four-star tight end. A lot of talk kind of like, oh, this might be a project guy. He's a two-sport guy. Can it really, you know, can he really make an impact? I mean, we saw a state, but it was just him pancaking dudes that were half his size. I'm like, okay. He earned his number, and apparently he's making a dent in practice. Same for Sam Williams, the uh, the, the Mike Forrest yeah. theft, uh, Sam Williams. Uh, so, like, you know, these are guys that you're like, we don't know, and then they earn their number, and now you're like, okay, maybe something's happening. So this is this is a good thing. So I was able to talk last week, I guess it would have been at this point, uh, with Eli Drinkwith on my radio show that I do, 
and we asked him, hey, who are some of the guys that you think Mizzou fans should be excited about? Like maybe Mizzou fans don't know much about him right now, but you think that by the end of this season, a casual Mizzou fan will be like, dang, that guy was really good. Tristan Newson, one of the first names out of his mouth. And it's a guy that's been like one thing that I would keep in mind if you're a Mizzou fan, drumbeat. Keep in mind the drumbeat of a guy that ends up getting a lot of buzz. If you hear a name pop once, don't even worry about it. Camp. That's camp news. It happens every year, and you'll hear about him for a day, and then the next day he'll pass, and then you think about him again after the season. doesn't mean the player is not going to be good down the road, but don't worry about that kind of stuff. If you hear from the start of spring until the end of fall camp, hey, this guy is just wrecking shop from start to finish. Every practice, he's making a play. That's what we heard last year about Tyron Hopper. From the start of him stepping on campus to the day that they stepped on the fields for the first game, it was like, you guys don't understand how good Tyron Hopper is. You just don't get it until you see this guy on the field for us. And that was true. Like, he was really, really good for them last year. Tristan Newsom's getting the exact same type of buzz this year. Now, their linebacker core is deeper now than it was last year. So the opportunities are going to be more li- limited for him than they were for Tyron Hopper last season because Tyron Hopper exists. Um, but he is a name that I would absolutely keep in mind in this regard as well. Not a freshman, technically, went to Juco, but... He's somebody to keep in mind. Also, I'm never watching another Juco player ever again. I refuse. Man, most Juco players stink. Like, I've gone through it. Like, the number of Juco players that actually started or made any kind of impact, it's Marcus Golden and that's it. So, like, it's not a big deal, man. Like, if you if you saw the tape and you didn't see anything, that's mostly what you're going to get. It's impossible. It's impossible to know who they're going up against. It's impossible yeah. to know what their level of talent is because half the time they're sleep-deprived and ate three peanut butter and jellies that week. So, like, when they get on campus and they're eating legitimate nutrition and have, you know, dorms that are nice that they sleep in every night and have the greatest facilities in the world, some of these guys just end up being really good. Um but it, it's impossible to know which one that's going to be. So I didn't yeah. see it on film at all with him. And now he's been on campus for like three months and everybody's saying this guy's going to be amazing. So I hope he is. I hope they're right. Oh, well, yeah. And you are forgiven. That's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, so really, I mean, the only guys who do not have their number yet, and again, that's, what is it? We're recording August 8th. So, I mean, it's still like barely even two weeks into this, but the guys who don't have their number so far, Logan Reichert, Jordan Harris, Shamar McNeil, Serene Tunkara, Brandon Solis, and like a couple of walk-ons, but like that that's it. And and frankly, I mean, you think about an offensive line, that is the toughest position to just yeah. jump up and play. So that's not a big deal. Same for defensive line. Some of these guys just need some room to grow. So I don't read really anything into that group. Um, and especially, you know, at tight end, like I feel like it's going to be a wide open competition, regardless of if you have a number or not. So um, it's, I don't make too much of it. BK, I'm assuming you think the same thing. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, watching Shamar McNeil on film, you could kind of see this was going to be a little bit of a, um, a project and that's not to denigrate him as a player. He's crazy talented and he's six foot three and a buck 70. So like huge, he's got to put some weight on. It's going to take some time to adjust to the college game right now. He's more athlete than he is corner. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what a lot of these guys have been. Give it time. He might end up being a stud. So not worried about that at all. We know what Logan Reichert is. He's six foot six and 370 pounds. He's a absolute mammoth of a human being. And we'll see next year what he looks like on the football field. But give it time. It's going to take a little bit. Jordan Harris is the one guy out of this that I would say, like, keep an eye on him. Uh, There has been a little bit of a drum beat on him and really the young tight ends in general. 
that they might get more out of that position this year. And I'm not saying like tight end pass game is back. It's very much not, but you have your most talented players at the position are apparently Brett Norfleet. Um, who was the other one? Max, Max Wisner yeah. and Jordan Harris. So two true freshmen and a red shirt freshman. And it sounds like those are guys that might end up getting most of the playing time at the spot, which honestly is not, it's not upsetting to me at all, given what we saw out of the position a year ago. Makes me sad for my horse, but RIP the horse. Yeah. Yeah. But Team Horse Wiz still exists. And maybe Max Wisner can make make some make some noise happen this year. I here's the thing, man. The tight end position has been just non existent since Eli Drinkwitz has shown up on campus. If you have to go to the babies, if you have to go super young, I don't care. Do it. And and even if it's just tight end blocking, you know, Armand Mimbu for Pete's sake, had to go out there as a tight end last year. Like yeah. get some, get somebody who can actually play consistently. I don't care who it is. So even if it is our boy, the horse, but yeah, that's, that's good. That's a good thing you want to see young guys push old guys. Uh, and we've, we have at times been critical of this staff for kind of seemingly to favor old guys over the young guys. And if this is some, an instance where that happens, that is totally fine. I am good with it. So that's the Missouri centric stuff. We did all that up front because this is a Missouri podcast. This is a Missouri YouTube channel, but there are things happening in our beloved college football world that we kind of need to talk about. And I know I have been lambasted for my takes on expansion Palooza in the past, but I don't learn and I think I'm right. So we're going to talk about it some more. So last week, Friday in particular, we all know that Colorado leaves the Pac-12, goes back to the Big 12. Okay. Okay, cool. I don't think any conference loses anything from that or gains anything from that. You know, Colorado is a national title winner from 40 years ago. Okay, great. What happens after that is the interesting part because then, then the Big 10, which had just poached the LA schools last year when the Beal escaped from LA, now takes Oregon, and Washington away from the Pac-12. By doing this, Arizona then reaches out to the Big 12, yeah, the Big 12, and says, what about us? And a day later, Utah and Arizona State are saying, yeah, and what about us? So now we have a Big 10 that has just taken USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington, and the Big 12, which just took the Arizona schools and Utah, leaving the Pac-12, now the Pac-4, with Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford. This sucks. BK, I'm going to let you go first. I have a lot of thoughts, but you're going to be the reason measured head here. I want you to go first. So let me start with this. Um, We had a conversation a few weeks back, kind of before it became the hot topic on Mizzou Twitter, about... Mizzou, the SEC, and whether or not, if you knew then what you know now, would you want Mizzou to go back to the Big 12, right? We did, yeah. And my my answer to that was, yeah, like I, if money was not a factor, I would rather see Mizzou in the Big 12 than the SEC. Because I think it just, for a million different reasons that we don't have to get into right now, makes more sense for Mizzou. But money is a factor. In fact, money is the only factor in any of these discussions. And that's what's so unbelievably frustrating, but also understandable to a degree, I suppose, 
is that none of these decisions are being made with the best interest of the universities necessarily at heart. It's what is the best interest of the university's pocketbooks that is being the driving factor between all of these decisions. And so we're going to break up the Pac-12. Eventually, the Big 12 will probably disintegrate into, you know, the leftovers that weren't taken up by the Big 10 and the SEC. And the same thing will probably happen to the ACC as well. Eventually, we'll get to a place where it's the Big Ten, the SEC, and then everybody else that doesn't matter. And the college football playoff will be like 16 teams and 12 of those spots will come from the Big Ten and the SEC because they couldn't play everybody in their conference because the schedule will at that point be like 14 games and you can only play 13 of your 25 conference opponents. Like that all sounds ridiculous. But that's where we're going. That's the logical endpoint to everything that is taking place right now. Stanford, Stanford is likely headed to the S or the ACC where they will play real games. Forget football for a second. They're going to play like softball and tennis and soccer against Florida State next year. They're going to travel to Florida State to play non-revenue sports. It makes no sense to anybody with a functioning brain. But that doesn't matter because what does make sense is the money. And if they stay in the Pac-12, they're going to be left behind because the Pac-12 is going to be gone. It might be called the Mountain West sooner rather than later. Like the Mountain West at this point is more stable than the Pac-12. So that's where we're at. All of this is unbelievably unfortunate. And if you could make somebody czar of college sports for a day, what they should do is say, hey, all of you get in a room, decide the 60 teams that matter, and then figure out how to regionally redecide or reproportion this so that way your conferences make sense. Because we know what this really is. The Pac-12 disintegrated because nobody wanted like Washington State and Oregon State. That was it. They didn't have value any longer to the TV rights deals. And so when you get to that place as a conference, the others have to go somewhere else to get rid of you. Man, the SEC, like if they could, they would probably get rid of Vanderbilt. They would. And so when you look at what these teams, what these conferences actually should do, it's to boot people from their membership. But that won't happen. And so we keep this thing going and it's all a big charade. And now you've got Rutgers in the Big Ten and Stanford in the ACC and like Texas in the SEC. And none of it really makes a whole lot of sense, but none of it matters either. I don't think Stanford's going to play in the ACC. I don't think logistically they can pull it off. The conference doesn't have the money to do it. Stanford doesn't have the money to do it. If it would, if it made sense, if it made monetary sense if it was plus four million dollars it would have happened already dude rutgers is in the in the big 10 and they are i don't know if you saw the money or the the story the other day they are hemorrhaging money they cannot keep doing this but they have decided you know what we've got a seat at the big boy table so that's because when rutgers was brought in the majority of americans owned a cable box that's true i think all of these teams that were kidding themselves like all of them seem to be of the belief that the the package that the big or the Pac-12 was re- like presenting to its members, that's going to be the package. Like it's not today, but 10, 15 years from now, that's going to be what's available to some most of these teams. 
is something on Apple TV or Amazon or ESPN Plus. Like that's where all of this is heading eventually. So at some point, man, these conferences have to figure out like, what does that look like for us? When things go digital, how do we make that transition? Because right now, everything, and I mean everything, is monetized by those TV rights deals. That is the big golden goose. And if that goes away, that's how the Pac-12 disintegrates. That's really what happened here. It was a TV rights negotiation gone bad, and the entire conference imploded as a result. So, like, I I don't know how you fix this. Well, you don't, because the Pac-12 took eight months to figure out their TV deal and still haven't done so. You said, you you know, the czar of college football for a day. You know who the czar of college football is? It's ESPN and Fox. True. That's who it is. It's not the schools, right? They're all in for themselves. It's not the NCAA because they just, it's the schools who elect a, bo- a governing board to do nothing. It is ESPN and Fox. They are the czars of college football. And they sit down there in these negotiations and say, well, you know, you have these schools. And if you have that, we'll give you 20 million. But if you had these schools, we'd give you 25. And, you know, the ESPN on Fox got bit hard because when they did the first round of negotiations in the early 10s, again, every American had a cable box. They went by TV market. And a couple years later, cutting the cord. People started going digital. People started dropping cable. So they did realignment under these old rules. And not even five years later, the rules changed. So now ESPN and Fox are going, okay, okay, well, if we if we paywall all of our inventory and we get each conference to have all the helmets, then we can charge $15 a month when we were getting eight with a cable box and we can keep all demographic information and keep all advertising dollars and it's our own distribution and we can do it that all of a sudden cha-ching, they see dollars in their eyes. Yeah, that's how we can do it. We can just lock everybody in here and then we'll just keep all the good teams. So yeah, you need to get, you need to go to a place where we can make more money for you because that's what these programs, all these athletic problems for years and years and years, they said, this is an advertising arm of the university. And now it's finally biting them in the butt because universities are going, you can make more money over here. Screw tradition, screw regional rivalry, make more money, money line go up. And that's what these, because it is the presidents who have to sign off on this. That is what they are looking at. So the czar says, get into a better conference with all these helmets. The presidents go money, please. And so this move gets made under these rules. Again, what happens five years from now when it's no longer a streaming thing, something could happen. I don't know what, but if we keep realigning to rules that are going to be antiquated by the time my daughter's in third grade, we are going to find ourselves in these hodgepodge conferences that don't make any sense in a Rutgers who's going, we can't hack it. And it's, there is no governing body. And this is the problem with that. When you just let, you know, 1984, Oklahoma Board of Regents, when you had a heavy, you know, Reagan court say, deregulation for everybody, each school needs to do their own thing, each conference needs to do their own thing. That's when conferences stopped being a athletic tradition keeping mechanism and started being a TV negotiation conglomerate. That's all they are. And so here we are, and we're not going to have any conferences that makes geographical sense outside of the SEC and the Sun Belt. So if you like college football, watch the SEC or the Sun Belt, because that's where your regional rivalries are going to be. And everything else is just going to be helmet chasing. And boy, PK, 
I don't know where this is going to go, but realignment always makes me nervous. And I know teams don't get kicked out of conferences. I know that, unless you're Temple. <laughs> teams don't get kicked out of conferences. But do you know how the SEC was born? It was born when all the teams in the Southern Conference got together, including Alabama and Auburn and Florida and Georgia, and said, you know, we're not really impressed with some of these Southern Conference teams anymore. We're just going to take our schools and go make a new conference. That is my fear. Not that Missouri gets kicked out or South Carolina kicks, it, kicks kicked out or Mississippi schools get kicked out or Purdue or whatever. That the big boys, the 18 teams that spend and recruit like they want to win a natty go, we don't think you're cutting it. We're going to make our own thing. And I don't know that that's going to happen, but based off of real line the past couple of days, it kind of feels like that's what's going to happen. And that makes me sad. All of it makes you squeamish. Um, everything about college sports, the landscape that it is today is exhausting because it it's no longer about really like even the product on the field. It's you mentioned the word demographics. That's what it is. Like, why is Missouri in the SEC? It's not because their football program is good or their basketball program had had success. Like, those are nice added benefits. The reason why Missouri is in the SEC is because of St. Louis and Kansas City, two metropolitan areas that they can draw from and tell TV providers, hey, we draw from these two top 25 or top 30 markets in the country. So we have those as a part of us. We have the state of Florida. We've got Georgia. We've now got Texas because Dallas and Houston, they are a part of our conference. Like some of the biggest cities in the Southeast region, we now have those. We coveted them and we have them. Missouri can draw from Chicago. There's a lot of alumni that are either from or live in the city of Chicago. So you can draw from that as well. Like that's why Mizzou's in the SEC. That's it. It's, it's that simple. That's what the value is to the conference. And the same thing is true for some of these other schools that are now being poached. It's about either name brands or cities that they can draw from to be able to get those subscribers or to get those um, people that are going to be tuning in on a weekly basis. And that's where the money comes from. And that's the gravy train that makes all of this possible. Yep. I see USC shirts in St. Louis. You know, you walk around Texas, usually you'll see, you know, like a like an Ohio State shirt. Yep. Like these, the brands that have fan bases that just like winners, they're going to be fine. They might, you know, the conference name might change, but they're always going to be in it to win it. And they'll always be able to call their shots. It's the teams that have regional pull, that have a lot of, you know, dedicated, smaller but dedicated fan bases. Those are the ones I fear for. I fear, you know, Wazoo and Oregon State, you know, I'm not saying that they're, the same as Mizzou or South Carolina or in Arkansas or Purdue or, you know, Michigan state. Like I'm not saying they're the same, but it's like that, you know, like there, there's no national appeal to Wazoo, but there's regional appeal. And if you want to put these helmets together and say, well, I want to see Michigan play Oregon every single year. That's what I want. I want to see good games. I want to see the NFL kind of like junior league where I can see these pros play each other. That's fine. I mean, you also have to see Oregon play Rutgers. Right. And Nebraska, Washington play Northwestern. <laughs> like, that's where we're at. That's what you're going to see. And I think it really is going to be a value add. I think, you know, give it 10 years with this and, and Washington and Oregon and Ohio State and Michigan. Go, Why do we play Northwestern? Why do we play Purdue? 
why don't we just why don't we just cut that out and just get you know ESPN is going to say, well, I can get you more money if you get rid of those. And like, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, America is just expansion and then decentralization and, com- and, com- and just compact and just so expand and compact. One thing that I do think is really frustrating about all of this. And like, I know it doesn't matter. Uh, like the people just don't care. Um, but like I do think regional regional stuff is a big part of what made college sports successful to begin with, right? Absolutely. Like the regionality of it is part of the charm, honestly, of college sports. And like, I know like charm doesn't matter because that's not what lines the pocketbooks of people, but in some ways like it can and has. And what I mean by that is I saw last week, Albert Breer who covers the NFL um, does a good job of doing, he's a really good reporter, but he put out random thought on college football. The networks are reacting to what fans do, not what they say. They say that they love the regionality of the sport, but they aren't tuning in for Kansas versus Kansas State or Iowa versus Iowa State. What they do watch is the, watch the Blue Bloods versus anybody that they're playing against. And if you go back and actually look at the data, what he says is not true. It's just not accurate. Kansas versus Kansas State last year, just to use his specific example, pulled in one point to a 1.2 share in 2.3 million viewers that same week georgia played georgia tech it got a lower rating and drew 300,000 fewer viewers than kansas versus kansas state why because regionality does matter and i know that georgia versus georgia tech game is technically a regional thing as well but like midwestern people care about their midwestern games Mizzou yes. versus Kansas is a big deal. Iowa versus Iowa State is a thing a there. Yeah. Like some of this stuff is just completely getting lost and people are acting as if it is nothing. It's not. The entire construct of college sports is driven by the history of those college sports. The history is all regional. And now we're just picking up those roots is as if you think that like, a tree can grow wherever by just picking up the roots and not reinserting them anywhere. Mizzou versus Arkansas isn't a thing, guys. It's just not. It has no history, really. And we're trying to make it a thing, and maybe it will become one eventually because you have 100 years of Mizzou being in the SEC and playing Arkansas, and by virtue of that, like you're just eventually going to get some bad blood there. Like Mizzou versus Kansas has real bad blood. There's stuff there, literal history there between the two sides. So... That's part of what makes all of this so frustrating to me is that we're pretending as if all of this stuff makes sense and we're trying to, in our own minds, like create a narrative that's easy to follow and it's like, oh, well, that doesn't happen because of this. It's all nonsense and it's what you said, Nate. It's how are we going to get the most viewers possible and what can we sell to a media brand who are the consultants going to like if we have them in our conference and that's ultimately what's going to make the decisions of who ends up where and yeah. 10 years from now i have no idea what these conferences are going to look like man or which ones exist. nobody does nobody does but the, no the regionality is the flavor that drives the whole thing you know the the sec used to be fast scary fast defenses the big 10 was big slow defenses the big 12 was basketball on grass first to 70 you know the the pac-12 was we have everything we have air raid we have spread we have triple option we have pro like there were these 
these regions that had history that played different ways. And then sometimes you saw them play each other in bowls and you got to see the West versus the East or the Midwest versus the South and all these contrasting styles. And like, that's what, that's where the magic was, baby. It wasn't the helmet games. It was, it was, you know, a wazoo beating Washington out of nowhere when they had no business to do that. It's when you have a matchup of like a future first round draft pick and the guy who's going to sell you your car in two years. And like, they're both the best athletes that ever came out of their high school, but that's where the magic is, baby. Like you see people that, that are going to be part of your community play at a high level against NFL talent. Like all of this stuff, you need regional interest to build your football rosters. You need a localized presence with a bunch of people from all over who went to high school together and then went to separate schools and then play each other in college and the pros and like fans there that go, Oh, I remember that kid when he beat my kid, you know, three years ago at this high school thing. Now I see him playing here. Like that generates interest that generates kids watching the game. Those kids grow up to play the game. They proliferate and go on. If you take that out, there's no regional flavor. And all of a sudden it's just, you know, oh, I kind of remember that name and maybe he went off somewhere else. Like it just loses the impact. And if you lose the impact of interest, you have kids who stop caring, who start, who stop playing the game. And there's no rule that says NFL and football have to stay popular forever. And that's a really good way of doing it. It happened in NASCAR. Okay, where you take out a lot, a lot of that regionality, a lot of that just homegrownness, and it, that league almost fell apart. Like it's just, it's very dangerous. Baseball used to be the most popular sport in the world, in the world, especially in the United States. Now it isn't. There's no rule that says this has to happen, but you have to have organic interest with kids watching the game and playing the game, and this, this hurts that. So I'm with you. I don't know where this goes. No one can know because we don't know what the next innovation yeah. is going to be. But like, it just sucks. I hate this. It sucks. And I'm not just some old man clamoring for 2007 again. Like people do not want this, but the money goes up. The TV execs want it. The president's like to cash the checks. And uh, here we are. are. Final thing on this, Nate, if you could create a conference for Mizzou, like you could decide who the teams are that are in Missouri's conference. Who would you want to be a part of it? Like Mizzou is the czar of college football for a day and they get to construct this thing around them. The ideal college football or just college conference in general looks like what, what do you think it includes? Man. Well, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I want Mimo plus. So I want Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, Kansas, Nebraska, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee. And I, that's, I, don't know, I lost track. That's probably 10 or 12 schools right yeah. there. That is all it's Mimal and then the bordering States. And there's a lot of crisscross with high school students and schools and regionality. And yeah, that's what I, what about you? So I'm putting these down. Um, I don't know that I care about like Minnesota. That doesn't do much for me <laughs> to yeah, be honest. That's fine. Um, I feel like mine would be mostly a combination of like the big 10 and the big 12, like KU, K state, Iowa state, Nebraska, Texas, Illinois would all be a part of it. Uh, Northwestern. I would probably put as part of it just regionally. I think it makes some sense. J school five. Yeah. Journalism (laughs) school thing. Um, I might put like, 
this is a weird one to include because there's really not a lot of history there, but like Purdue maybe would be a team that I think makes some sense regionally. Indiana, maybe you put in there as a team that makes sense okay. regionally. So um, you are a big 10 guy. I know that we've kind of both liked the big 10, but like, that's, that's really what it is. That's a lot, huge big 10 flavor. Yeah. I, I mean, big, it, it's Midwestern. It's big, very Midwestern. Big, big 10, right? Yeah. Basically essentially is what, what you're looking at there. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of the, the vibe that I would be looking for is like very Midwestern. Yeah. A, a, everybody says, Welp, um, Ope, a, a lot of Opes <laughs> going on in this conference. Yeah. Uh, when you leave, you, you slap your knee and go, well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. A yep. lot of that, but not quite getting up to the Midwestern or the, the Minnesota accent, like, like not quite knows? that far North or yeah. may like Michigan's probably going to be left out of this one. We're not getting yeah. that far North, but everything below that, and above, like, Arkansas, I think we're probably going to include. Arkansas is not in my conference, by the way. I'm here's here's what I need. I just need the Big Ten to put aside this, oh, well, we're just gentlemen scholars trying to help poor problems yeah. who I can't make them. Get rid of that junk. Be more like the SEC. You're like, bless your heart. We're going to stab you in the face. Be, be a little bit more cutthroat. I need the Big Ten and the SEC to just do the – the, you know, the, the 1915 race to the sea, right? Just go West, my friends, expand West, take all those schools. Okay. Maybe you could call the big 10, the union of Northern universities. And maybe you call the sec, the, I don't know, the Confederacy of Southern conferences. And then you just split those, the North and the South into West Midwest and Eastern divisions. And so you have the regional flavor of a North conference and a South conference. You can split the schools up along that way. You can do non-con with your Northern or Southern brethren. You can have a whole playoff at the end. Maybe they all come to the, to the championship at the end. I don't know, but just stop wasting our time. Just put them into two conferences, split those conferences into regions. So I have my regional flavor back. We can cut the baloney of the, you know, well, we don't want to expand and we can just call it a day and get it over with. If we did this and none of the sec teams were still a part of Missouri's conference, right? Like they Mizzou created their new conference. There were zero SEC teams that came with them. If you could put together a annual game, non-con game that you played kind of similar to what Mizzou's doing with Illinois or KU in the past, whatever mm-hmm. for football, would you want it to be South Carolina, Kentucky or Arkansas? South Carolina, South Carolina. Yeah. I think so too. That's the one that's become like a legit that's the rivalry. rivalry. Yeah. There's Kentucky is blood. fun because every year it's like ridiculous games that end poorly. Um, and Again, so just as like a nihilist, a, a nihilist, the nihilist in me just is ready to be hurt again. Um, that series I do find to be really enjoyable. And like sure. the basketball side of it is fun too, because Kentucky always thinks yeah. that they're one thing and it's another. Um yeah. But South Carolina in football, I think, would be the, the most enjoyable. Arkansas would be a distant third on that list yeah. for me of annual games that I would like to see played. Well, I think Missouri-South Carolina is the actual SEC rivalry. Mm-hmm. I like playing Arkansas because we beat them. And I don't like playing Kentucky because we lose to them. So I would do that one, two, three, um, if I if I if if you wanted to pick one. But again, I mean, I don't know. I, I It's not going to happen, so it doesn't matter. But hypothetically, that's, that's fun. where I'd go. It's an yeah. enjoyable experience to talk about. Well, I don't know if this is ever going to slow down. I hope it does. I mean, again, the downside of not having a governing body is that just as football is starting, you bring up all this baloney with expansion and just take 
the attention away from the potential football that's happening, but whatever, that's fine. It's all good, um, man. Football doesn't start for another month. Just a hater. How about a real final word? I can't let you get out on that. What's what's your actual final word? Mizzou football is having as much, or Mizzou football has the potential to have as much success on the recruiting trail in the next three months as they've had in the history of tracking recruiting. Yeah. So um, that is a real thing that is potentially going to take place. And if they are able to get this thing done, man, they deserve a ton of credit. And then it really just comes down to, can Eli Drinkwitz capitalize on it? Mm -hmm. Can he make it worth these players while with his season? If he goes eight and four or better, anything above that threshold is gravy. But if he's able to finish with like eight plus wins this year, feeling pretty good about the Eli Drinkwitz era. Oh, yeah. Yeah, got to get there, but I'd feel pretty good about that too. And that's the show for today. And as always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. We are now at a one-week show at a minute. Oh, boy. Ooh, two weeks or two shows per week once we get into the actual season. So you're going to see a lot more of us in your YouTube feed. You're going to see a lot more of us in your podcast feed. Get excited. Speaking of those feeds, leave a comment. Rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can tell us, us who you would have in your conference. If you could have your oh ideal Mizzou conference, who would be a part of it? Put that in the comments below. I can't wait to read about that. I love those kind of takes. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and the podcasting outlet at Rockin' Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.